every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. to Conversations with Dead People, a post-mortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. Uh, my name's Paul, I'm your host, and I am typically joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we make our way through the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spin-off series Angel. Um, back with me again this week is Elizabeth Rambo, Associate Professor of English at Campbell University, editor of Buffy Goes Dark, essays on the final two seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and contributing author to television finales from Howdy Doody to Girls. So thank you for coming back. I mean, it's season six. This is kind of your bailiwick, so. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I helped write a book about it, so. Yeah. Um, all right, so speaking of going dark, let's talk a little bit about how, we're, how we are both doing. Uh, we live in interesting times right now. No kidding. So, no so I need to start us off by asking you how you are doing. How are you surviving the apocalypse? Well, since the middle of March, I, along with my my entire university, went to teaching online. Right. So I've been doing that, um, partly from my home, but um, we've been told that we're considered essential workers. So I'm able to go into this which is isolated. I'm the only one in there. So, you know, I let myself in, uh, scrub off everything, and then I can, uh, the internet's faster there on campus, so I can do some work there if I need to. Also, there are no cats coming in and, you know, asking for attention. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, <laughs> that's not good. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's half the fun. Is. That's true. That is half the fun. But if I really need to concentrate work yeah get some concentrated work done well, you should take um, your cats you should take your cats into work with you that is tempting and i know i have occasionally i see colleagues in the hall or something and they do they have brought their dogs in <laughs> like that, so. yeah um it's a little more relaxed but also this if anybody thinks that taking online classes is easier <laughs> or that teaching online classes is easier it is not <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I've married into a family of educators. Um, my mother-in-law is a retired teacher. My sister-in-law is currently a high school special ed teacher. Um, oh well. Yeah, so I'm I'm getting lots of sort of secondhand experience with what it's like shifting over to an online education system. Well, yeah. I, I don't I don't envy you. It does to us uh, uninitiated. It does seem like that would make things easier, but. Yeah, it's um, there's just a lot, a lot of things to coordinate, and um, you have to you have to write something just about every day. Yeah, and some people just aren't into that, you know. So. 
Plus, this was just sort of dropped in your lap with no warning. Exactly. Yeah. No warning for the teachers and no warning for the students. I mean, a lot of students want to take online classes maybe in the summer or people want to do a degree online, but they don't take, you know, people are enrolled face to face for maybe four or even five classes Mm -hmm. and try to do that online. It is a lot. Yeah. I mean, I don't envy you. So, (laughs) yeah, so that's, that's been going on. Otherwise I'm fine. I'm, um, healthy as far as, you know, my, I'm at my normal state of health, I guess, whatever that is. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, getting along, dealing with the usual shortages people are facing around the nation. Right. Um, right. So, well, I, I'm glad you're, you're surviving. I mean, uh, emotionally, are you dealing with this well? Uh, pretty well. Um, I'm, I'm naturally an introvert, so, I, you know, I social media is great. I, I, you know, I would like, I do like to see people occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm missing that, but um, I, I'm not, I don't go get upset if I don't have regular face-to-face interactions. Right, right. But I, yeah, I'm looking forward, though, to getting back to something sort of normal i don't think we'll ever get back to total normal after this though yeah i've been in my various other podcasts i frequently talk with guests and co-hosts about what exactly is the is you know the new world gonna be what is it gonna look like when this is quote unquote over but um yeah uh the introvert thing uh pam and i have both uh been blessed by being introverts we've been we've been introverts our whole life so some of this has been an easier transition for us than it has for basically the rest of my uh, extended family, the family of educators that I married into, mm-hmm. uh, with the exception of my wife, they are all extroverts and they, <laughs> they are struggling with the transition. Uh, yeah. But yeah, for us introverts, it's perhaps a little bit easier. Um, I actually feel like, I'm sure this is not true, but I actually feel like I do more grocery shopping now than I did before. Uh, I mean, we, we're very careful. We only go out when we need to resupply. Uh, mm-hmm. and we, you know, where now that they're advising that we wear masks in public, um, we wear masks whenever we're out and, yes. um, wash our hands 8,000 times a day. But, uh, still it's, <laughs> I'm sure I did plenty of grocery shopping beforehand, but now that I'm so hyper aware of it, it feels like I do more of it than I did before the pandemic. So that's a little difficult for well, me. It, yes. And there's so much strategy, you know, like, okay, where should I go? Mm-hmm. What do I have to get there? You know, there's a lot of planning involved yeah. now. Yeah. So. Well, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, so this is a uh, season six. This is a good time to talk about season six, I guess. It, yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's the time of chaos. Arlo and I just had this conversation on the most recent uh, episode of Gobbledy Geek, where um, he has been dealing, uh, my, my friend and co-host Arlo Wiley has been dealing with yeah. this, uh, this crazy new uh, existence, the new reality, by only absorbing, like, sort of popcorn fare. Like, he watches 
cartoons and comedies and light stuff. He does. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. He's not taking in anything dour or serious. Whereas I have responded apparently the opposite way. Um, like all of the stuff that I am consuming right now is all post-apocalyptic or like really grim and dark. Um, and it didn't until this very second, it didn't even occur to me that, oh man, my, my quote unquote beloved season six fits into that category. So yeah, that's true. Weird. The punches that life throws at us. Yeah. It gets darker before it gets light. (laughs) Um, all right. Well, so let's let's get into this. I'll throw the spoiler warning out for newbies, uh, and then we'll get into the discussion. Uh, Conversations with dead people. If, if you're new to this, uh, we are not a typical rewatch and review podcast. We're going to be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole. That means spoilers and tons of them. So I recommend if you haven't already watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series, just in case, all the way through, at least once. Uh, put this podcast aside. Uh, we will be here forever in a day. You can come back to us anytime. Go watch Buffy. Go watch Angel. Live your best life. That's right. Uh, in the meantime, with that out of the way, Elizabeth, if you're ready, let's go to work. Let's go. Okay. So. Okay. Normal again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I've told. Um, I've got some. I have some listeners who are new to the show. Uh, they. They are watching Buffy because I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> and, okay. and so I warned them ahead of time, uh, you know, they were asking what to expect and, and whatever. And we discussed normal again. And I sort of set this up. I set this episode up as something that has, has created kind of a rift among fans and maybe even uh, academics and scholars where, it, yes. it presents two, this episode presents two possibilities, uh, and, and we seem to be pretty evenly split on where we fall. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard back from, from them at this point, having seen normal again, and they didn't, they didn't think that it was uh, particularly divisive. Like they didn't, um, they didn't see how it was difficult to interpret what was going on. So I, ex- okay. I expect that's what we're going to be discussing. All right. Well, I'll be interested to hear what they say, because, um, I, Rewatched it. I have an opinion, but I also looked into. I listened. I watched it again with the commentary to see if the uh, the writer and director had any insights that they wanted to offer. Um, and they did have a couple things to say about what Joss Whedon thought. Okay. Um, and then I also looked up a couple articles, some academic articles about the the episode. So I have some things. Okay. And also, I have my my views. So. All right, excellent. So, um, yeah. Uh, by the way, episode six seventeen normal again is where we're starting off. Uh, so yeah, this is this is uh, we're in your territory. So Elizabeth, why don't we start with you and uh, tell me your impressions at normal again? Um, yeah, I think this is really we're starting to see sort of the repercussions. Uh, a lot of it is repercussions from Hell's Bells. Uh, well, I feel like like Hell's out. Bells gets barely a mention <laughs> in normal well, again. It it does it isn't mentioned directly, but um, I mean, I there's mean, yeah. I if, mean, well, it's we're we're seeing repercussions of a lot of things that have happened. Yeah, Tara and Willow Willow is still split up, but they had a moment mm-hmm. and. Uh, 
Willow's trying to, you know, seeing if she can get back with Tara, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really enjoying the the sort of flipped um, dynamic between the two of them, where it used to be. For the longest time, Tara was the shy, sort of stuttery one, and uh, Willow was the more forward and and forceful of the two. And now that has yeah. kind of switched. Willow is very, very shy and insecure, and Tara She's, has yeah. found herself. But uh, the it's the in the teaser, Xander is back from his his exodus, his, his walkabout um, or whatever, his, whatever it is. Um, and she's so that it starts with him coming back and saying, I'm wrong. So he wants to make amends, but she's so there's a lot of sort of indirect references to it. Mm-hmm. Buffy tells Spike about it. There's all this, you know, it's not directly referenced, but a lot of people talking about what happens right. afterwards. Right. But no Anya in this episode. She sets the episode out. Um, that's true. She appears in Entropy. She she comes back in the next one. Um, so it's what so there's just some references to it we start to see some repercussions Um, the spike the fight between Xander and Spike and the the three the trios demon spiky demon (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah I'm not even going to try and pronounce that demon's name I don't know what his name is um sends Buffy into her fugue state or is it her real state? We don't know. Yeah. So, so that is the divide. That's yeah. uh, Yeah. The, the, the gimmick or whatever, the monster of the week of this particular episode is that Buffy is gets stabbed by some weird didgeridoo demon that Andrew summons. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just realized I referred to Xander as going on a walkabout and there is a didgeridoo in this episode. So yeah. Make of that what you will. But uh the, yeah. The, the the director or writer said that Andrew was or um oh gosh, now I've forgotten the actor's name. Um Tom Lake. He was actually Tom Lake that he was actually playing that didgeridoo. I don't know if that's true or not. I, I wondered about that because he, he did I mean, I don't know if that was how he was actually playing it on set, like what you heard might not have been what he actually played on set, but it did look like he was playing. It looked like he was blowing through it. And I don't know. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen people and I myself have tried to play a didgeridoo to zero effect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have no idea how to make those things work. And he did, he did sell it at least. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. Um, so, what I thought though, when we first see the, the first scene, full scene we get of um, Asylum Buffy, whatever mm-hmm. we want to call her, where the doctor tells her that the the Sunnydale illusion, as he calls it, is breaking down. Um, it basically sums up the complaints that fans were having about the season. Yeah, the sep- the episode is strangely self-critical. Yeah. It's very meta. So, yeah, it's very meta. Um, which makes me wonder is, you know, I don't can it's hard to say just how up to the minute these episodes are written, how aware. I mean, we know that Joss and the writers are interacting with fans to some extent. So they're aware of 
you know, how fans are responding. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wonder if to some extent this, this episode is a little bit of a, yeah, we hear you, but you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, wow. Actually, I hadn't even, uh, I hadn't even taken it to that extreme. That is a fascinating read on it. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, I just, you know, Justin not, I mean, he, he listens. I mean, when fans criticize things, he says, yeah, but his, his mantra is always don't give them what they want, give them what they need. I know, man, I have such a love hate relationship with Joss Whedon. Um, I know, I know. Yeah. So the, the meta stuff here is, you know, they, they, via this doctor in what may or may not be a real mental health institute. Um, uh-huh. uh, we hear that. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sunnydale's not quite as fun as it used to be. Um, you're not dealing with a big world ending villain anymore. Now you're just dealing with three pathetic, you know, boys that play with action figures. Toys. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I, I feel like, no matter when the episode was actually scripted, I feel like, yeah, the, the creators were enough uh, in touch with fan response that they could probably make some, like they could drop in some of those lines uh-huh. uh, pretty early, but uh, it's just so pointed. It's so, it's so clear that it's a meta textual reference to the season itself that I can't, mm-hmm. I can't imagine that that was not intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, and the other thing that starts happening here, and this is where it's uh, relevant to my analysis of the season as a whole, is that the nerds themselves are coming, the trio itself is coming apart. Right. Jonathan is, is unhappy because uh, uh, Warren murdered Katrina. Right. Um, and we can always already see that um, uh, Warren and Andrew are starting to team up and kind of exclude him a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of name calling. They call him short round Midgetor. Midgetor was the one I loved. <laughs> Man, poor Danny. Yeah. Poor Danny Strong. I know he's such a great. He's a great actor and a great writer and a director too. But uh, yeah, he really, he really. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I, I don't remember. I've said many times. I, I it's hard for me to remember my. Uh, original experience of the episodes. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if I was tuned in enough (laughs) when this originally aired that I was thinking in these terms, but rewatching it now, um, it's easy for me to imagine that uh, a first time viewer would be, would see this and assume, Oh yeah, there there's, there's a rift between, you know, Jonathan has, at least in my opinion, Jonathan has always been brushed right up against the edge of being one of the good guys. And, uh, like he, yeah. he, he always gets, he always either does or gets pulled into these crazy, uh, ill-advised things, but he seems, it seems like he always kind of pulls himself out. And this in is the past. Yeah. In the past. And this is one of those moments where I was, even though I know what happens, I'm, I was watching it and I was like, Oh yeah, this is where, where Jonathan finally has his epiphany. Like Jonathan finally wakes up to this isn't all fun and games, and and he's about to switch sides. He's gonna he's gonna go help the Scooby Gang, which I guess kind of sort of a little bit maybe he does at some point, but not really. He's he's on the edge of it, but he's also he's drawn back in a little later in the episode when. Warren gives him the, oh, we're a team. We have yeah. to stick together. Ah. Yeah. He's, he's, 
you know, don't don't mess things up. So he's still drawn in by that. Right. So I mentioned the uh, the in, inverted relationship between Willow and Tara, and how I like mm-hmm. how I like that that's flipped. An interesting uh, inversion that happens here, where for like the the Slayer mythology has always been that, um, at least for the purposes of Buffy, that she is has been a better Slayer than anyone before because she has uh, friends because she has a, a group of friends and family that help her out. Whereas all the other slayers were always alone. Um, right. But in the inversion here is that uh, Buffy's being told that actually that circle of friends are what is killing her and, uh, and trapping her in this illusion. And that the only way to actually save herself is to, kill them yeah to to destroy to slay them or whatever yeah mm-hmm. so i don't know i just i i kind of liked that inversion I'm, yeah I'm, it really flips it i'm a little mixed uh, i'm a little mixed on the episode as a whole but i do enjoy some of the meta stuff and the and the inverted narratives mm-hmm. yeah and uh they there's a lot of that i mean it with dawn too i mean since season five you know, the whole thing of season five and then even a lot of season six has been motivated by the idea that Buffy has to protect Dawn mm-hmm. and she's, you know, she's sort of lost track of that. And here Dawn is saying, wait, your ideal world is one of which that I'm not even don't even exist in. So let me let me <laughs> ask you about that moment, because I've seen so many people again, Dawn defender here. Um, I've seen so many people just jump all over Dawn for that and be like, of course, leave it to Dawn to be the one who turns Buffy's, you know, existential crisis into something all about her. Yeah. But, but how did you read that? How did you feel about it? Are, are well, you are you in team, oh, stop whining, Dawn? Or are you in team, okay, I kind of get it. Um, well, I I kind of get it. But it's also part of what wakes Buffy up. Um, I mean, that's Dawn. Mm-hmm. That's sort of who she is. Um, and that's part of what, I mean, part of season six is that Dawn has to wake up a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, she says she wants to learn from Buffy. Oh, that's in the next one that she wants to learn from Buffy. So this is a transition moment for Dawn too. Um, but there's something that is attractive to Buffy when in the illusion world or the asylum world, I'm not going to say it's an illusion yet, um, <laughs> that her mother says, uh, mom and dad just want to take you home and take care of you. I mean, that that has always been appealing to Buffy. Mm-hmm. You know, she has to protect everybody. And here's a, here's a world in which she no longer has to carry that burden. That's what's really appealing to her. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. These two episodes that we're going to, that we're discussing tonight, um, (laughs) did not do, uh, Buffy any favors in my eyes. (laughs) Well, this whole season is about Buffy trying to sort of not be the slayer. Yeah. Usually that, that stage of a season is like one or two episodes. Uh, Yeah. 
it has been <laughs> so even though i'm i sort of made the the joke at the top of the show about how i'm i'm really into post-apocalyptic and depressing fiction right now mm-hmm. for some reason um i did struggle on rewatching these episodes particularly I, I i don't know why i'm feeling better today talking about them but yesterday when i was rewatching, i was like I was just rolling my eyes. I was like, oh my God. Whereas everybody else apparently yells at the screen, shut up, Dawn. I'm I'm like, God, shut up, Buffy. Um, that's mostly going to be, there's something that happens in the next episode that really sets my Buffy rage back, <laughs> okay. back in gear. But uh, in this one, it was mostly, so I, I love Sarah Michelle Gellar. And I think she does a fantastic job throughout the entire series. She's a wonderful actress and, and I call out these, uh, tremendous scenes that she gets uh, whenever I see them. In this particular episode, one of the things I don't feel like Sarah Michelle Gellar, for me personally, I don't feel like she does the best job at playing just um, sort of somber, uh, dour, mm-hmm. depressed or whatever, uh, which yeah. is unfortunate because that's all this season has been. And so when you get an entire episode that's almost nothing but her tuning out the people around her and just staring into space. Like Dawn has the great line of, uh, yeah, the thousand yard stare really sells that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just, she mutters under her breath. I don't know. I like, I get it. I, as someone who's suffered with depression his whole life, I understand what this is, but it's not fun to watch. And I'm, I don't, I don't buy Sarah's performance in that particular mode. So that throws me off. It's, and I would agree it's hard to what act that in mm-hmm. a compelling way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now yeah. I, I will say the common the commentary was that she was that Sarah Michelle was actually like real life extremely uh had, had not had enough sleep and was actually physically tired. Okay. And that that was part of what was going on. What was that? But, do, do you know if that was method acting or was there something going on that was unplanned? No, that that, that was whatever was going on in her life. Okay. She just wasn't yeah. at the top of her game. Um, it's, it's probably filming season six that had done it to her. Well, that that's very possible. Although, you know, they had night shoots and things all along. So I don't know. But know. yeah, the season itself was kind of hard. I don't know. Um, so anyway, that's, but I agree. It's, it's hard to watch a whole episode in which she's just flat affect mm-hmm. Buffy. That's mm-hmm. not the Buffy. And this is what a lot of, um, viewers complaints about the whole season where that that's not the Buffy that we usually admire and, uh, identify with. So yeah, I typically, yeah, I get that. I typically rush to, uh, to, I, I, I typically get defensive when I say, oh, I don't like season six. And everyone's like, oh, was it too dark for you or whatever? Uh, uh, and I'm I'm always like, no, 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 that's not it. Because I love dark. I love dark stuff. Make it as dark mm-hmm. as possible. That's not my problem. Um, but I did for just a moment on rewatching this particular episode. I did catch myself thinking, God, it's so exhausting watching this for an entire season. Yeah. yeah. Um, but at any rate. Like at the top of the show, when she, when Buffy is first attacked by that, whatever the heck it was, the, I'll just call it the didgeridoo demon. When she's that fight, when it first pops out and she's like, oh, I don't suppose you just happened to, to eat a couple of nerds. Did you, or whatever, like for just the briefest of moments in that fight, um, 
she was sort of back to old quippy, you know, snarky yeah. Buffy or whatever. And it was, it was, it only lasted for like 30 seconds, but it was such a breath of fresh air. Right. Um, I think one thing that happens, I mean, you know, Willow cooks up the antidote. Mm-hmm. Um, Spike, when Spike tells Buffy that she's addicted to the misery. Yeah. Um, and that he, he gives her this, um, uh, ultimatum mm-hmm. that she should either tell her friends about him or he will. Mm-hmm. I think that is also something she doesn't want to face. Yeah. She's full of guilt about that relationship. And that, that seems to be the thing that causes her to, uh, say, okay, you know what? Maybe I would rather live in this, um, world where, I could have my parents yeah. and I mean, uh, not be the slayer and so forth. I don't want to face this. I mean, in, in so many ways throughout season six, she's been, that's kind of what she's been doing all season is looking for a way out. I mean, in once more with feeling, she basically attempted suicide. <laughs> and Yeah. Cause the, this world that she remembers from when she was dead was warm and safe and she was cared for. Right. And, and, she, that's... And, and she was done, which is kind of, yeah. which uh, is a little bit of the promise that she's given by the asylum reality or whatever that uh, exactly she can let this exactly. all lay this all aside and she'll be done with all of that. And so there, the asylum Joyce or whatever we're going to call her has a wonderful line, but I, I want to, before I get to that, I, let's discuss the, let's discuss the real world versus asylum and, and what the, the pros Sunnydale and cons world. are yeah. yeah sunnydale versus asylum and let's and uh and let's discuss sort of the pros and cons and where we fall um i mean the doctor makes a an interesting statement sort of a throwaway line at one point when he says he talks about last summer when buffy momentarily broke free of her delusion which clearly yeah that's clearly that's when she was dead yeah that's while she was dead um yeah i mean I guess what I want to know is which side of the line do you fall on? If you fall on one, I mean, maybe you're, maybe you're walking the line down the middle, but, uh, and what are, what's sort of the evidence that you look at? The evidence for that he's making a reference to when she was dead. No, just the the whole thing about whether or not the, uh, the asylum reality is real or Sunnydale is real. Um, so for, uh, for, I'm sorry, I want to jump in and for listeners who have no idea what's, what this is about, (laughs) the, the the lingering effects of this episode were that a large or a significant portion of the fan base was upset because they thought the episode was actually saying, uh, that it it was basically pulling a Dallas or whatever (laughs) was saying that, uh, you know, it's all been a dream that the entire show has been inside Buffy's head. And she's been in this asylum uh, the entire time. Uh, Whereas others were like, no, that's ridiculous. This is just another one of those weird uh, alternate reality things. And everything's back to normal. Everything Mm -hmm. is normal again. Right. So, Um, well, uh, I mean, this the statement of the nerds that the uh, 
the poison of the demon has Buffy tripping. Right. Is that this is an illusion. This isn't her mind. And it would make sense that Buffy would have an illusion where, you know, she has been institutionalized before. Which is potentially, seems... which is an interesting sort of retcon that they just dropped in. Yeah. Um, but if that's, you know, say it's true, um, it would make sense, though. Um, it would. It's just interesting that um, that Joyce has never. There's never been any evidence in previous seasons that it's never that, been mentioned before. That that's a it's thing true. that would have happened. Like when when Joyce finally started catching on that, uh, like any time Joyce would clue in that weird things were going on with Buffy. If they'd had this history of, oh yeah, she spent a couple of weeks in a in a mental health institute because she was yeah. imagining vampires. I think Joyce would have had a much stronger reaction than we saw her have. Like, oh no, you're going, you're going yeah. off the deep end again, Buffy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so it would make sense that if that was something that really happened, it would make sense that Buffy would kind of go back to that in her mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, the idea is that this is a, um, a sort of a drug induced or poison induced hallucination that seems to be in there from the start of the episode. Um, it does appeal to it's an illusion that appeals to Buffy's desires that she's expressed since the beginning of the series, not to be the slayer, mm-hmm. to have her parents together, you know, for her mother to be back, for her not to have all the responsibility, those kinds of things. So if it's an illusion, it's an illusion that makes sense for Buffy to have. Right. Um, now, the evidence for it not to be an illusion. Okay, the fact the closing scene is probably the biggest thing that people yeah. refer to. Yeah, yeah. So I, I frequently, over the course of this series, have pointed out, and I will continue because I think more examples are coming. Um, but you know, I'm a I'm very obviously a Spike defender, and one of the frequent ways that I defend Spike against uh, the claims that, you know, he's just pretending. Many non-Spike fans have said, oh, he's just pretending to be a good guy to get in uh, on her on her good side or whatever. And I'm always like, we get plenty of examples of Spike doing and saying, uh, you know, kind or humane or whatever things Yeah. when there's no one around, like there's no reason for him to be performing. Um, and that to me is proof that what we're seeing with Spike is real is that he's not, when we see him do these things, there isn't always someone around that he's performing for. So why would he be bothering to do that? Um, it's a little bit of the same thing here with that final shot is, um, there's, they throw that final shot in there. First of all, we never see Buffy take the the antidote. (laughs) It's just, she just asks for the antidote. So Hey, mm-hmm. guess what, guys? Uh, season seven is an illusion too, because Buffy never actually takes the antidote. If we don't see her take it, it's true. She does yeah. ask for it. I know, I know. Uh, but then it cuts. So then it cuts to the the uh, asylum reality or whatever, and what we're seeing there is not the reaction of you know uh, demons or or nefarious beings who are like, damn it, the Slayer got away again or whatever. It it's just a continuation of that quote unquote reality and it's the it's the final statement of the episode and it just doesn't play out like if that was i mean she hasn't taken the antidote yet so the illusion could still be in existence obviously so 
I'm not saying that the illusion should have stopped as soon as she, you know, woke herself up, but, Mm -hmm. um, just the way it plays out, like, again, it's another sort of performative thing. Like, why is that happening? And why is the last, why is that the last thing that we're shown in the episode? If we're not meant to question. Yeah. Well, see, that is one option. I think is that the writers are messing with us. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, they never, they never do that. Come on. (laughs) They never do that. Well, and one thing that I thought was interesting in the commentary is that, you know, in some, uh, sometimes when there's flashbacks, you know, the lighting or something is different. So you can tell when Uh it's a flashback. Uh Um, I mean, a real obvious example of that is um, uh, the Firefly episode out of gas. Right. Yeah. Um, But the, uh, the commentary uh, it was Gutierrez and I can't remember uh, who the other Rosenthal. guy was. Um, Rosenthal said that uh, Joss specifically wanted both realities to be shot with the same kind of lighting, so that they would look both look equally real. Okay, yeah. Um, which means, and that he wanted people to to wonder. See, that's at the end. That that's awesome. So. I love ambiguity in my fiction and I, and I love when questions are raised and not answered. So um, depending on the day of the week, I may have, uh, uh, you know, a column A or a column B take on this episode, but for the most part, and certainly right now, as we're talking, I sort of take the, I take the stand of who cares. <laughs> I take this, I, yeah. I'm, I'm in the category of a, it could be both or it could be neither. Like I, I'm not yeah. worried about it, but it is something that a lot of people worry about. So I just, I wondered. If... Yeah. Well, and I, I can understand that. And I've got, a, I'm looking at an, one article that uh, argues very strongly that the mental institution world is the real world mm-hmm. and that Buffy, the world of Sunnydale is just, you know, it, it is an illusion. I mean, yeah, of course, we know it. You know, it is a fictional world. <laughs> it's sort of so. This is the episode that rubs our faces in it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Another meta commentary here is that. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, guys, wake up! This is all just fiction. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um. So. It's. So there's that. Um. It's quite, I don't know. The other famous one, of course, is the ending of the. Um, I guess was it. 80s show St. Elsewhere. You've right. Heard about this. Yeah. Um, for the final, uh, the season series finale ends with a pullback into a snow globe the or something inside a snow globe held right. by an autistic boy. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, I didn't, uh, so, I didn't watch St. Elsewhere. I wasn't, a, I didn't watch that show, but I love that stuff. <laughs> I, yeah. love, I love that stuff. Um, maybe if I had been a super fan of St. Elsewhere, that would have pissed me off, but, I wasn't. And so I'm like, that's super cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so you know, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with ambiguity. I mean, fiction, it is fiction. Come on. Nobody. I mean, that, you know, even Buffy, there's meta commentary within the scene itself where Buffy says, what's more real, a sick girl in the institution or some kind of super girl chosen to fight demons and save the world. That's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Buffy herself is saying, come on, this isn't real. I'll just kill you all. It'll be fine. Which that particular scene that you just pointed out, the her, her saying, what's more real? Um, mm-hmm. 
reminds me of one of my favorite elements of this episode, which is when Buffy gets to be the serial killer stalking her prey throughout the house. Yeah, I mean, that's really terrifying. It was, yeah, I mean, the obviously we, we it's implied when she grabs Willow, but we don't actually, we're not quite as spooked at that point because that's the first. And then when she gets Xander, that's shocking and a little bit scary. But then she's actually... She even when she's stalking Dawn, she even does the the slow like serial killer walk. Like Dawn is running yeah. from room to room, and and Buffy is just strolling casually. You can't hide Dawn. Mm-hmm. So that is chilling stuff, and I loved that. I kind of yeah. wish I kind of wish the episode had been more of that, but um, and the whole basement scene was yeah. was chilling. Yeah, and I don't know if I can really make this case, but. Uh, it's interesting to me that Tara kind of seems to be almost outside this sort of Buffy illusion reality. You know, Tara enters from outside the house, and right. the house is um, sort of famously a metaphor for a person's mind. Mm-hmm. So all the people that Buffy initially is trying to kill are inside the house. Okay. Tara enters from outside and immediately starts casting spells to release the friends mm-hmm. and help people. You, you rarely see Tara doing magic, you know? Yeah. I mean, that was, that's interesting. I kind of want to follow this thread for a bit, but uh, like my take on it was just how, how cool it was to finally see Tara get one of her rare moments of being proactive yes oh yeah that was when great. when everybody else is uh, is helpless or whatever and she's the one who's kind of coming in to save the day that was really cool but um it hadn't occurred to me the note so I, I guess what is the implication that you're raising here well the implication is that it's so if we're going to say that all of sunnydale is just buffy's illusion then there do seem to be some people that are independent actors right like tara and and even Spike to some extent, mm-hmm. as you were saying, the outsiders. Yeah. Um. Okay, so let me let me talk about the cool Joyce line. So, yes, oh wait, I love this. Yeah. Uh, before I say that, though, I want to point out that uh, if the asylum reality is is reality or whatever, that is <laughs> that is to me that is some terrible like therapy that's going on there. The doctor (laughs) and mom and dad just corner, like getting her in a corner and getting right in her face and saying, just concentrate Buffy, just bring yourself back. I mean, again, (laughs) metaphorically, I get it, but in a real health situation that, that was awful, but yeah. Anyway. So yeah. It's, I noticed this and also the, the writers commented on this, that both Sunnydale Buffy and uh, Asylum Buffy are both, seem equally distressed by their friends being attacked by a demon. Good point. Which is interesting. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Um, okay. So Joyce, uh, first of all, I think this is the final appearance of Hank Summers. Yes, it is. We haven't seen him. I think since, um, maybe season two, what was the episode nightmares where he told Buffy that, um, yeah, it was the divorce was her fault. Right. 
think that's my the God, last was time that we the saw last him. time we physically saw him? That's insane. I, I think so. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, well, yeah. So as far as I as far as I know, this is the final time that we ever see him. So yeah. Welcome back and farewell, Hank. Um, and I think it's also the final appearance of the Double Meat Palace. Um, I hope so. Yeah. Right. Uh, it get Double Meat Palace gets referenced in the next episode, but I don't think we see it. I mean, I maybe you see a glimpse of it on there on the camera, but anyways. So uh, Joyce, she gets this wonderful sort of pep talk uh, to Buffy uh, in the asylum verse or whatever that is mm -hmm. uh, initially it's meant to be read as obviously this is this is asylum verse Joyce trying to bring her daughter out of her delusion. But it actually is the pep talk that Sunnydale Buffy needs exactly to break out of this spell or whatever so uh like it starts off with buffy fight it you're too good to give in i know you're afraid and this this is the good one for me this is the bold in my notes here i know the world feels like a hard place sometimes but you've got people who love you and that is i, I mean that's what she's dealing with in sunnydale that's her depression is that uh, the world's a hard place you know and uh, yeah um, exactly uh, but you've got people who love you. I mean, I don't know. That's that's a powerful line. That And to me, watching the scene, that was kind of the first moment where uh, Asylum Buffy, who's freaking out, and she's obviously distraught, and she's struggling and fighting and sort of banging her head against the wall. That that line is the one where Buffy first starts to calm, where she starts to catch mm -hmm. her breath, and she stops sort of thrashing, and it looks like she's she's putting herself back together. Um, yep. So, yeah, what would you, you think about that scene? Yeah, I, I love that. That is really the inspiration that Sunnydale Buffy needs, even though it's meant for uh, Asylum Buffy. Um, and it comes from her mother, which is that's who she needed to hear from. Right. Um, you know, she's, she has missed her mother so much. And um, so if this is real in some way, even, or if it's an illusion, it puts her in touch with some, memory or some you know mental part of her that she really needs to hear from mm -hmm. um and even if it's just you know metaphorically or spiritually or something when Joyce says your dad and I we have all the faith in the world in you and we'll always be with you so that is something people often get about their parents you know even if their parents have passed on this mm -hmm. idea that they're always with you in some sense. Right. And this is the message Buffy gets. That she can do it. I'm glad that in that particular scene, it was only Joyce. I mean, Joyce mentions, yes. you know, your dad and I, but, but Hank was not in the scene at that point because otherwise <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, but Hank's not dead and he's not always with you. And he's a terrible dad. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, he is terrible. Um, but the, sort of that, that dad energy, I guess is what, Buffy needs. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, I, she needs Giles. What she needs. Yeah. That's what she needs is Giles. And we'll get Giles eventually. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I guess I don't know that there's much else to say about this episode. Um, I'm looking at my notes and we already mentioned the well, funny Midgetor line. And I, I like. I, I, I will I, have to say, I mean, here's another sort of argument for the Sunnydale this ultimately being a Sunnydale reality is that 
this is a scene that we've seen. Usually we see it like in episode one or two where Buffy gets a grip on her Slayer identity and stands up. There's that scene of her behind the stairs. She stands up. Light comes up on her a little more. Mm -hmm. She stands up behind the stairs. We've seen that shot at least four or five times. (laughs) I mean, four, four hundred times. Yeah. Stands up, comes out and, when she fights the demon this time, you know, it takes, you know, what, a couple, you know, punches, and then she just shoves her fist into its chest. I mean, yeah. It's, I, I did want to say, she's I, got it. I, I know the, I know what you're re- referencing when you say she stands up. It's when, like, she's huddled under the stairs, but then she just stands up into frame and clearly into you're, frame, like, yeah. you're like, oh, Buffy's back. Yeah. That was that was great. And even I, who who I'm so cynical about the character of Buffy, even I was got a little, you know, got some chills and I was like, all right, whoo, we're back. Um, the, the scene that I did roll my eyes at a little bit, and I love cheese and I love over the top <laughs> stuff, but uh, is after she killed the demon and she the camera pulls in tight on her and she like lifts her chin up and you can, and the light very clearly comes up as if the sun is rising. I was like, yeah, that, okay, yeah. that might be a bit much. Calm, yeah, calm, bit... calm down guys. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, that was, that was good stuff. It was good stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if there's much more to say about this. I mean, we're all, I don't know. Um... Do you, do you have a side or, okay. Two questions. One, do you agree with me, or or am I correct in my my assertion that uh, there is sort of a divide between even amongst like scholars and academics, there's kind of a divide on how people yes. read this? Okay. Well, yeah, I think there's still there's a divide. I mean the uh, the one article that I cited, which is um, it's called "They Told Me Sunnydale Was Going to Be Interesting: Metaphorical Schizophrenia in Buffy the Vampire Slayer." Um, it's by Vicki Jaffa. It's in Watcher Jr., but it's a good article. And really, her interest is in the um, Ben Glory split. Right. But yeah. she makes an article, uh, an argument about the uh, about this episode in there, and says that you know the the mental institution reality is the real one. Um, and the the show is just a metaphor, so we can talk about schizophrenia as a metaphor. Um, so there's that, but then there's another article from uh, 2004. It was actually a presentation given at the very first uh, Slayage conference by Naomi Alderman. Uh, thank you, Naomi, for archiving this <laughs> on the Whedon Studies website. Those whom the powers wish to destroy, they first make mad the classical roots of madness in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, so she has a lot of background in classical studies and talks about the way madness appears in Greek and Roman mythology, mm-hmm. um, talks about glory, Drusilla, and then this episode where she says, of course, we know which one which reality Buffy will choose. The true Buffy world is the classical one, the world in which seeing gods and demons may mean that one is mad, not because the gods and demons are not real, but because they are. So for Alderman, the Sunnydale world is real within the Buffyverse. Okay. 
So, and it comes as no surprise, Alderman writes, it comes as no surprise to us that Buffy eventually realizes this. And yet the episode is also, as it were, winking at the audience because while we know which world is real for Buffy, we also know that Buffy's, quote, real, unquote, world is not real at all. If we believed what Buffy believes, we would be mad. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's Alderman's answer, which I think is a pretty good one to why the final shot is. Right. Uh, yeah. Buffy in the asylum. Okay. So my final question is to, to I'm trying to wring an answer out of you on where you fall. So I, I think for Buffy, the world of Sunnydale is the real world. Okay. And so she, she ultimately chooses to return to that. Um, and I think as long as we're watching it, for us, that's the real Sunnydale. That's the real world for Buffy. For me, yeah. that's for me. That's that's what works. I mean, okay. uh, yeah. I don't. I mean, if I thought vampires were real, <laughs> I would think I was a little bit loony. But <laughs> uh, the way things are going right now, who knows? But I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer as a show. Um, but I know it's fiction. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll, so we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it to our <laughs> listeners to make up their own minds about whether. <laughs> so um, I'll be interested to find out what your, your first time viewers think, or have they already said, um, it just doesn't bother them. It did. It, it didn't really bother them. It didn't, Great. They, they didn't realize that they were were meant to make a choice there or whatever, I guess. Um, which, as well, I said, as I said, I love the ambiguity, and I think I think both answers could be equally compelling, and so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine. Well, and you know, I like I'm okay with ambiguity too. Here's another way of looking at it. Um, I know that some of the writers, like uh, Jane Espenson, has talked about how um, when they're writing an episode and trying to decide. Okay, what makes sense here? A uh, question that Joss would often ask is, well, what's the Buffy of it? I mean, mm-hmm. it's the show is Buffy. The, this is something he always tried to be, bring it back to is like, how does it reflect Buffy? And I think in some ways, every character is an aspect of Buffy. Mm-hmm. So to that extent, it could make sense to say, yeah, the entire world of Sunnydale is a, a creation of Buffy's mind. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think I could write a convincing version of that, but you know what? That's, that's not really that interesting. I mean, <laughs> that's not the fun answer, right? That's not the fun answer. That's not the show I want to watch. Right. Right. Um, okay. So let's, um, let's get into is the, is the next episode more fun i don't know let's get into uh 618 entropy entropy which uh s- straight off the bat i'm just gonna point out to our listeners and we will discuss this uh as as we go straight up we, we i already mentioned uh you were editor to buffy goes dark yeah and uh, you have a chapter uh specifically about this episode well this episode is like the 
sort of pivot point or the, the thing that sort of pointed me to the thesis of my of my article. My article is about the entire season. Okay. There's a key line in it, although actually Buffy says a version of this of this line. She tells Dawn uh, things are coming apart, mm-hmm. so she sort of foreshadows entropy in um, normal again. Oh, you're right. Yeah. 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 But in in the end, season six, and, yeah, and you cite the poem "The Second Coming," uh, which Tara sort of misquotes or whatever <laughs> uh, in the episode when <laughs> yeah. she says uh, things fall apart things they fall, fall apart. they yeah. fall so hard you can't ever put them back together or be- put them back the way they were mm-hmm. so so yeah let's start there let's start with uh, let's, <laughs> let's get right you. into the academia of it and and uh, talk about why like what what's the hook of that well uh, no this is at times like this you wish you had a whiteboard um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the thing of the Yeats's poem is um, things fall apart. The center cannot my, hold. The center cannot hold. So he has this image of um, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Um, turning and turning in the widening gyre. The falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. That's the three lines of the second coming. Mm-hmm. So he has this image of uh, a falcon or a bird of prey going up in this widening spiral, right? As it as they do when they're hunting, um, and that's history. History. Sorry, I can't talk. Um, history that gets more and more chaotic over time. Right. Things, things gradually well, spin out of control. Yeah. Yeah. But his view was that as it gets more out of control, at some point there's another sort of new cycle of history that starts where it comes back together. Um, so there's some sort of interlocking spirals, one that's getting wider and wider and in speak to this episode and the season. So this is the this is the point at which things have gotten for almost every character in the season their um, sort of personal journey on the season has gotten wider and wider, more and more out of control. Um, I want to jump in here just for a second because I just had a thought that uh, people talk about how or, or I think the sort of casual reference to Buffy the Vampire Slayer is how it's a it's a teen show about high school and surviving high school and then you've got a couple of seasons where they get out of high school but none of that that's not the fun stuff the fun stuff is the high school stuff um, it's actually if you think about it because i was going to say that this this uh you know the widening gyre and things fall apart the center cannot hold is kind of that's what writers have been looking at as as far back as season four like season four was about how now that high school's over your friends friend circle starts to widen and maybe break down a little bit and you don't have the same relationships with people as you did when you were younger and and then season four, we keep addressing those sorts of issues all the way through, even to the end of the season. So actually yeah. more than half of Buffy is about 
is about this kind of stuff. Really, the smaller portion of Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the uh, the Scooby Gang and the close circle of friends and all that. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I'm sorry. I thought that was no, profound, think... but it probably wasn't. No, I I think that makes sense. Um, you know, the first three seasons when they were in high school, it's about high school. Mm-hmm. Um, then it has to sort of go and be about some different other things. Um, I think there's a few people that have talked about how the um, the hero's journey model mm-hmm. makes some sense um, for either for all seven seasons or um, or for any single season. Yeah, so no, I think I, I think one of the one of the great things about Buffy and and all fiction, all long form fiction that really is successful is that you could you can take Campbell's hero's journey and and apply it to the entire series like in this case all seven Mm -hmm. seasons or within each individual season itself also follows the larger hero's journey yeah um it's those widening gyres yeah yeah um that's sort of what has happened is like, like buffy i think buffy makes a decision in um normal again that she will reclaim her identity Mm-hmm. But in Entropy, she starts trying to reclaim that. So it's sort of like her return, her inward spiral starts here in Entropy. But for other people, it just starts going like, whoa. I mean, Xander and Anya, they're still <laughs> on an outward outward spiral, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, the Nerds of Doom, still going crazy. Spike. Spike, yes. Still on an outward spiral. So So with the with the widening gyre metaphor, is the is the smaller circle, the smaller gyre that is is uh compressing or file is pulling itself back back together, is that Buffy? Is that where we're what we're looking at? Is this she's finally kind of starting to maybe genuinely heal and pull herself back together? Yes, um, but it's going to take a lot more. Yeah, um, yeah. We're just this is just the beginning of that. Yeah. If anyone listening to this, I don't, I don't, I doubt this is true. But if there's anybody listening to this episode right now who is watching Buffy along with us, has not seen past this point, I'm just going to tell you things get way worse than oh, <laughs> before yeah. they things get, get better. Much worse. I mean, but one thing Buffy tries to do here is she she tries to make Dawn accountable and she tries to act like a real sister to Dawn instead of just yeah saying whatever. Um, Which again, now. some of, some of my favorite stuff from season five and six have been the, the Buffy and Dawn bonding moments. So, yeah. Um, you know, Dawn's making amends for all that clep- kleptomania in the early part of the season. Right. So um, some things are improving. Um, I think I said in the last episode of the podcast that uh, this uh, a spinoff show that I want to see is uh, Dawn Summers Cat Burglar or something like I want to uh, yeah. I want to follow her on these apparently <laughs> never ending uh, shoplifting raids that she went on and hit I every know. single store in Sunnydale. She must have been quite the, uh, you know, but luckily the police are really dumb in Sunnydale. Or <laughs> That's true. Dawn would be in prison. That's very true. Very true. <sighs> Okay, well, let's talk about the actual events of the of the episode. Um, 
so <laughs> let's see where where do we start um i uh, so here's a question i want to ask uh so this is anya coming back um yeah we, we talked about how the so we need the fallout from hell's bells and this episode is the one that actually really gives it to us um, yes and uh, I love the layers of what happens in this episode, how Anya, we find out that Anya, we, but nobody else finds out that Anya has gone back to being a vengeance demon. Yes. Uh, and she's seeking vengeance on Xander, uh, but she can't do it. Apparently the rules have changed while she's been out of the corporation or whatever. While she was out of the office, it seems like the rules have changed and you, uh, uh, a vengeance demon cannot seek vengeance for their own slights or whatever yeah you know that's interesting because it's true the first thing she did was uh make a vengeance wish against olaf yeah that was her first wish wasn't it wow yeah Um, good good yeah i'd forgotten that i was just going off uh, i was just going off of what uh what um oh gosh what's her name hallie halfrick Halfrick, yeah. Yeah, on what she says that uh oh no, how long have you been you've been gone for a while, haven't you? Yeah, you can't uh you can't seek your own vengeance. I'd forgotten the but, whole Olaf thing. You know, um I'm not sure though. I'm not sure if she made her wish against Olaf when she was a demon. I think she made it while she was still human and um vengeance demon guy uh granted it for her. De Hoffren. Yeah, Dauphin, and then made her a vengeance demon. Yeah, you might be right. But it makes total sense, though, that they can't make their own vengeance wishes. Otherwise, total chaos. Yeah, I do have a question, though. I do have an interesting... Yeah. This is one of those things, and it doesn't bother me. Sometimes the retcons or when when shows, particularly the show, plays fast and loose with its own continuity and mythology. Sometimes that grates on me. In this particular instance, not so much. But I did want to point it out that... Uh, it feels like they wanted an episode where uh, Anya comes back and she's seeking vengeance and they're like, but we need to, we need to reestablish rules or we need to, to update the rules to make sure that she herself cannot just uh, yeah. do this. And since nobody else has been wronged by Xander recently, we also have to make clear that, Oh, you can, you can find somebody else to make a vengeance wish on your behalf. And I feel like that's not the way it used to work. Well, uh, yeah, I agree with you, but I have to say those scenes are really funny. Right. (laughs) Where Anya's trying her hardest to make the Scoobies uh, wish vengeance against Xander. They just won't play along. Yeah, no, there's some great lesbians. You hate men, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. There's some great humor in those. Yeah. 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 Um, but let's see. Um, I'm trying to. Uh, my notes here are strangely out of sequence. I don't know why. I was just randomly writing know. notes about this one. But so yeah, we get uh, Anya's back. She's a vengeance demon. She's trying to get somebody, anybody, to make a, a wish. Her only goal now is to seek vengeance on Xander. She wants Xander to suffer, and she's doing all these, seeking all these demonic avenues uh, to come up with the most heinous curse and torture to, for someone to wish upon Xander. And ultimately, I think it's fascinating that ultimately she gets her wish. Mm-hmm. Uh, she makes Xander suffer. She does punish him. Uh, yeah. But it's not the way she intended. It's a very human right. method that she uses to punish him. And 
um, it's not unintentional. It's unintentional and it's not satisfying at all. Right. Uh, Yeah. So yeah, I just I liked that. I I don't like the scene. Like I don't like. Spike's my boy, so I'm uncomfortable with the way that whole thing goes down and the whole whipped puppy look that Spike has for the entire end of the episode. Yeah. Um. Well, it's he's just told Spike has just told Buffy that he feels different. Something is different about the way he feels about her, mm -hmm. and that it's real. And then he just then he does this. It's like. Okay, now how how am I going to convince Buffy? Okay, so <laughs> uh, we'll we'll just get right to it <laughs> since you brought up that that stuff between Spike and Buffy. Uh, I said earlier that there's a thing Buffy does in this episode that brings back my Buffy rage. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I get that I'm in the minority of people that that many times just genuinely don't like Buffy Summers, but uh, one example here, and I'm actually gonna. I'm going to cite, uh, so Nikki Stafford, uh, in her book, Bite Me, The Unofficial Guide to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, she has a nitpick for this particular episode. And in part it reads, just as she was always so quick to blame Angel, Buffy looks at Spike and says, didn't take long, did it? Uh, even after she told him repeatedly to move on. After the childish way she treated Angel and the self-centered way she acted around Riley, which eventually drove him away, when will she wake up and realize the common denominator in her ill-fated relationships is her? Now, to be fair, because I don't know how Nikki, I don't know where Nikki stands on all of this now. This, this, were, these were mm -hmm. her thoughts years ago when she wrote the book. Um, yeah. But it mere it, I f I feel the same way in, in in much of that I feel the same way. And my when she, literally the previous episode she tell or or was it this episode? One of these two episodes she was like, you need to move on, William. Just, just yeah yeah. And and he even says to Anya when she says, wait, 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 what are we doing? He's like, we're moving on. Yeah. And then Buffy shows up and she's like, well, it didn't take long, did it? Uh, in, in Hell's Bells, I was, I was praising the maturity that we saw between Buffy and Spike. They had just yes. broken up and they were both being mature and adult and they were both still in pain, but they were being kind to each other. And I loved that. And now we get this and it yeah, infuriates well me. But even in even in normal again, he's he is back to threatening her by saying, "I'm going to tell your friends about us if you don't, if you don't." Right. So even then, he's well, like, eh. so do you do you want my my perhaps pathetic uh, Spike defense the the way <laughs> the way that I'm going to choose to read that to make Spike sure. less obnoxious? Uh. I feel like Spike at this point is really struggling with the fact that he has lost the relationship that he wants with Buffy, but he is still trying to be part of the group. Yeah. And so he's forced to continue playing the bad boy. And Xander is the epitome of that. Xander is the one who will not let, let it go. And for, I mean, he says that it's because of the chip that he's not fighting back or defending himself mm -hmm. against Xander or whatever, but it's for Buffy's sake, I think. And so he's just, it, it might not be Buffy's choice. It might not be her fault, but you know, she had the, the episode where she said, you know, I'm using you spike and it's killing me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, William, or whatever, which is a wonderful mm -hmm. moment. But in a sense, she's kind of still using him by 
not acknowledging the relationship that they've had, but forcing him to stick around and continue to be the whipping boy of the group. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Um, I, I sort of more, more blame Xander here. Oh yes, please. Let's blame Xander. Xander automatically assumed that the hidden camera was placed by Spike. Right. Um, and you know, I don't, but it's kind of typical of the way the Scoobies have reacted to not take the the trio seriously, and to you know, to I mean, they're aware of them, but they're not taking them seriously. It's so interesting the way that they've dealt with the way the Scooby Gang has dealt with the trio this season because they they almost never deal with them directly. The The fact that they are, yeah. that they are the villains of this season or whatever, they are theoretically the big bad almost never is dealt with up front. What we get is every two or three episodes, we will have Buffy make casual reference to, Oh yeah, I was out looking. I was trying to track down the trio and see if I can find where they are. And that's like literally the most active involvement Buffy and the trio have together. It's mm-hmm. it's always just referenced or dropped in for a scene that Buffy remembers. Oh yeah, the trio's out there. I need to track them down. It's it's so it's so weird. Yeah, and yet the trio is actively trying to uh, intimidate or hurt or even kill her all mm-hmm. along. Right. It's just yeah. It's weird. Um, um, but they provide the the means by which Anya Anya's revenge takes place. Right. Yes. Unintentionally. Unintentionally. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's go back to blaming Xander. <laughs> so I, I, uh, I have recently softened a little bit on Xander and, and uh, I'd stop using every, every episode as just an opportunity to beat the hell out of Xander. Um, but I'm kind of, let's get back to it, I guess. It's, it's about time. Uh, because he's, he's because, not good. Because he's not being, he's not being cool. Um, yeah, I, uh, as much as, so I've complained about the, the behind the scenes stuff where I, I felt like I was becoming aware that there were certain elements in the creators, in the writer's room, in the, in the creator's circles um, there were writers and, and creators that were not fans of Spike or not fans of the idea that Spike could ever be redeemed. And so every once mm-hmm. in a while, like we would, it seemed like we would alternate between episodes where, oh, Spike's actually a good guy. And then the next episode, it seemed like the writer would be like, no, no, Spike's not a good guy. I'm going to show you why. And that stuff got very annoying to me. Um, and at times, and in this episode in particular, I feel like Xander is the mouthpiece for the for that group of writers because he never ever ever lets up on spike in any way um and i kind of had an epiphany i keep using that i kind of had an epiphany about how um you know on the one hand i'm like for for god's sake xander lighten up (laughs) how like how long uh are you gonna yeah are you gonna in this very episode xander gets a moment where he actually say it in these words but when he is confronting anya uh, about how mm-hmm. betrayed he feels um, that she slept with Spike. What is actually, this is the second time he's loved a girl who then, you know, uh, jilted him to go sleep with a vampire. So this, this goes all the way <sighs> back. This goes all the way back to Xander hating Angel. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, we've seen this in Sandra all along. It's like vampires are not good. It's, he's and he's yeah, he's I think that's a lot of what his uh dislike or even hatred of of Spike is about. Mm-hmm. Um he doesn't even need to know. Well, in fact, what he says, what he says to Anya about Spike, that is what also talk about things being what's the Buffy of it. That is what Buffy feels. What's which is that? What's that? Uh, when Xander tells says to Anya, "You let that evil soulless thing touch you," I feel yeah. sick. That's yeah. how Buffy has been feeling. Right. I I so, kind I of mean, justified I... or not that's how Buffy feels about it and yeah. that's what she doesn't want to confess that's why she doesn't even want to say yes Spike's my friend now we should let him be part of the group she doesn't want to the, the twi- admit what happened yeah the twist the, the I don't I don't know how to read it the irony or the tragedy or whatever of the way this plays out is at the top of this episode um she first of all i love uh i love um casually dangling a vamp by the scruff of the neck spike at the beginning of the episode i love the way he just perches on top of that pillar and just holds the vampire out at arm's length but in that scene at the beginning of the episode uh buffy says they they you know i just tried to kill them all and they you know what they still love me so they're not going to care i don't care go ahead and tell my friends which might be yeah. she, you know she doth protest too much but the point is uh oh no i don't need to answer that okay okay uh the point is that she she tells spike i don't care if my friends know which either she clearly still does uh based on her reaction at the at at that moment when spike does tell her friends or this is her deepest fear brought to life. Like maybe she had actually kind of gotten over it and she, she was starting to trust that her friends would forgive her uh, Mm -hmm. for, for this, which I'm uncomfortable using the word forgive in this situation. It's not their damn business, but (laughs) yeah. um, You know, maybe she had actually come made her peace with that, but then Xander's reaction just brings it all right back to her and she realizes oh I needed to be scared because my friends aren't going to accept this yeah it's, it's awful it's awful <sighs> Xander you awful awful person <laughs> yeah um, he's, he's just full of conflicting emotions and you know you could say on one hand he's, he's trying to apologize to Anya but his apologies are failures and Anya's so conflicted still so angry i don't know it's like mm-hmm. yeah it's just it's still a mess and everything they do just pushes them farther apart from each other here so well it's gonna be a while so how how do you like how do you feel about the episode how do you feel about this stuff that goes on and, and... well this is i think this may be the moment where everything's Everything except one thing is, you know, pushed to serve, starts exploding here. 
I just except one thing. I I literally just realized what the if everything else is the widening gyre, I just realized what the contracting like the the fresh new uh, reality is going to be. <laughs> it yeah. just dawned on me what the moment of happiness and peace is in this new dynamic, which is ironic because it's the line. It's Tara that says the line things right. fall apart. Right. But in the con in the context of it, let let's just skip everything. And yeah, can you just be kissing me now? Can you just be kissing, kissing me now? So finally, Tara's the reconciling force. She, she, you know, uh, Willow has been the stumbling shy person, and Tara again comes in and says, "No, let's. You're forgiven. Let's let's get back together. We can't. Yeah. It'll be different. It can't be the same, but we have to be together." Yeah. Um. <laughs> so much no, like knowing what's coming this, this episode is so horrible this episode is so like tragic um it is for it for is. everybody for everybody even the even and perhaps especially for the happy couple yeah um yeah so and now i have to come back next week and do more. <laughs> okay well yeah so do we have anything else to say about this episode well you know, I think it's a very important episode for everybody maybe getting to the it's it's like the it's like the uh it's like the commercial break at the end of the second act. <laughs> it's the dramatic <laughs> break. This is the worst. <laughs> that takes us into uh the commercial that will lead into the final act of the season and so yeah. it's got to be shocking and it's got to be painful and it's got to force us to sit through the commercial so that we come back for what's next right um and it's it's not going to get better no I, it's going to get worse before it gets better i guess i'm mean, I, name like entropy so yeah yeah, yeah. i legitimately um, am not looking forward to next episode like the our, our next discussion um <laughs> I, i'm not um yeah, I don't know how that's going to go. Uh, before before I allude too much, before we talk too much about what's coming up in in the week ahead of us, um, there were some. Well, you already said there's a lot of humor actually in this episode. It's a, it's a super dark and tragic episode, and and one of the most depressing ones when you really think about it in context. But there is a lot of humor, and mm -hmm. um, we get one we get one more of many many like countless uh, little hints or teases or whatever at uh, Andrew's sexuality. Oh yes. That was, that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, when, when they're watching on the camera and Andrew's like, he's so cool. Yeah. Oh, and, <laughs> oh, and the, the girl's, girl's the girl's hot too. Yeah. Um, and uh, when I can't remember the longer bit of dialogue that it comes out of, but um, uh, Anya is talking to Spike about uh, the sexy dance or whatever. And, and Spike's like, Oh, Oh, I have no dance. <laughs> <laughs> he quickly is like, I have no dance. I don't have a sexy dance, which we know that's not true. That is so not true. It is not true. Well, and then, you know, she says, show me your sexy dance. Says, right. I'll show you mine. Yeah. Um, as a viewer, as a, as a fan, if you can remember your initial thoughts, did that upset you or. Spike or and Anya. Yeah. Yes. It did. I knew it was going to end badly. I mean, of course it's, you know, <laughs> It's uh it's a scene, but I just you I knew it was gonna be bad. Okay. 
but this, <laughs> but that's why you were upset because you like knew it was going to lead to bad stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. I, I just know there was a certain segment of the fandom that was that hated that scene because they just thought it was gross and they didn't think that Spike and Anya had anything. Like I don't know, they just. <laughs> It, it well, was that segment was, of fandom that doesn't want to see Anya be with anybody but Xander. Oh, and, no. And, yeah. I think it was totally understandable. I mean, they were both in bad places. As he said, they're both hundreds of years older than anybody else. Right. I liked his line where he says, um, you know, we should have, we both should have died hundreds, hundreds of years ago, but we're the only ones who are alive. Yeah. And and in the last episode, in the previous episode, in Normal Again, Spike has that line when when he's uh, when he is giving her the ultimatum of "you tell your friends or I will." He says, "Let yourself live already." Mm-hmm. So I yeah. mean, I, I love that stuff. The the and and he also has to... a good point that he's they're the only ones, or frequently the only ones who just come right out and say what's really happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, she's. Uh, yeah, she's kind of blurt thing blurts things out a lot, but mm-hmm. a lot of times, sometimes it's because she's naive, but sometimes it's just because she doesn't have any filter. But yeah. sometimes people need to hear that. Um, he's the one famously in uh, um, Lovers Walk. Lovers Walk, who told Angel and Buffy the truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm still a Buffy Angel fan, but. Uh, <laughs> It was absolutely right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Spike's always been the speaker of uncomfortable truths. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. No, I, I just, uh, I really like the dynamic between them. And what I was surprised by on this rewatch is I remembered it. As, and it's probably because I've heard fans for so many years talk about how, like, out of the blue it felt or how gross it was that Spike and Anya got together. So I remembered it as being much more of an impulsive, like, really quick thing that happened and I was surprised on this rewatch how sort of naturally timid and tentative they actually both were in yeah. getting into it I didn't remember also, it building as long as it drank a lot of scotch right oh yeah yeah the whiskey didn't hurt yeah um okay what else um I like the fact that Don uh, notices Buffy's reaction to seeing the video of oh, yeah. Spike and Anya. I like that, that Dawn picked up on that. And I really, really wish that the, that we'd gotten a longer scene of the two of them in the backyard talking yes. about it. Cause I really yes. liked where that scene was going and I liked the conversation that it looked like they were going to be able to have. And I, I just, I, I wish it hadn't been cut as short as it was. Yeah. So this is, again, this is it, this episode there's some hints that Buffy and Dawn are starting to build a better relationship, Mm -hmm. but Buffy's still trying to protect Dawn. Yeah. Rather than let Dawn be her own person. Uh, Somebody pointed out, um, Dawn's now the age that Buffy was when she first started slaying vampires. Right. And Dawn, uh, Dawn points that out. She's like, you were going on patrol when you were my age. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, um, but I think I still think that that something of that this may be just me my uh, fan uh, reading or something but I still think that something of that spell the original spell that went into Dawn mm-hmm. is still active where Buffy has to protect Dawn that's still something that Buffy sort of an instinct that Buffy has yeah I 
I tend to let myself get annoyed by the fact, and I, I've commented on the podcast before that I, it feels like the writers won't let Dawn progress. Like they are, they are keeping her, even though she is 15 or maybe even approaching 16 at this point, yeah. that they still are writing her to, to behave as if she is a, like a, 10 year old or whatever <laughs> I know. um so i give the writers some flack for that but yeah you could also i i don't know that the it's ever spelled out in the text of the show and and i may be wrong because i don't remember season seven that well but um you could also look at it as that's just the way Bo dawn was created like the spell created her to be the 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 dependent younger sister yeah. and someone that buffy needs to protect at all costs yeah, I think so. I think that makes sense. Um, it's part of this season that Buffy has to move on beyond that to some extent. Mm -hmm. And that's what we'll get to eventually, but yeah. we're not there yet. Okay, so let's um, let me let me thank you for joining me for these two difficult episodes. <laughs> yes, you're welcome. I'm uh, I'll get myself in gear for the two even more difficult episodes <laughs> yeah so uh if you if listeners if you hadn't already figured out uh, next week elizabeth or or whenever we do it because who knows in this age of of plague <laughs> what the calendar will allow hopefully it'll be next week uh yeah. elizabeth's coming back um because she's just a glutton for punishment that way um <sighs> and we are going to be discussing Episode 619, Seeing Red, and 620, Villains, um, both of which are very difficult episodes, particularly Seeing Red. I'm actually, I mean, I, I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to discussing it with you, but I'm not looking forward to discussing it. <laughs> I'm not. I, I agree. Yeah. So both of those are going to be rough, um, but we, we have to power through. We have to get to the end of the season. We will do it. We will. So. Elizabeth, thank you so much for, for coming back and thank you in advance for, uh, for suffering through the next episode as well. Um, where can the people find you online if they can? Okay. I am at, on Twitter at EL Rambo. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, is that it? <laughs> that's it. Okay. At, you know, EL Rambo, Rambo like the movie. Um, I I have an Instagram that I don't ever, you know, just so I can look at other people's Instagram. So <laughs> that's, the, that's the only reason I have it, too. And I always forget it's even there. So Yeah. So that's pretty much it. All um, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I will. Uh, I will provide links to the books mentioned at the top uh, in the show notes. I, I feel like no one ever actually looks at the show notes of any of my podcasts, but they exist. They are there as a reference for anyone who so, wants to look for them. I can send you um, the links for these two articles that yes, I please. mentioned. Yeah, I'll send you those. Yeah. Okay, great. So those will be in the show notes. Um, everybody at home, thank you for listening. You can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com, uh, or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Uh, while you're there, please rate us or write us a review. That really does help spread the word and, and uh, bring listeners in. If you have questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to share your thoughts on the stuff that we've discussed, please join the conversation. You can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at conswithdead or reach out to us on Facebook uh, at facebook.com slash conswithdead. Um, like I said, next week, uh, we, 
we we bring the fun in <laughs> before we get oh, to the, no. the end of uh yeah yeah it's it's going to be terrible next week will be awful but it'll be a wonderful conversation as elizabeth comes back to discuss seeing red and villains until then ger arg everybody ger arg i'm going slightly mad i'm going slightly mad it finally happened it finally happened oh yes it finally happened i'm slightly mad just very slightly mad and there you have it